Well, good morning again. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here. And for those of you who are guests here today, we're so glad you're here. Just as a reminder, if you'd like to find out more information about us, or perhaps you want to get coffee with me or one of the staff members, what you can do is you can scan this code right here on the back, and that comes straight to the staff, and we would love to sit down with you and tell you more about our church, or if you want to get on our mailing list or whatever, that's the key to do it. So we're going to be going through our, our vision and values for the month of September. We do this uh, every September to remind ourselves of what we believe. And this morning, uh, our passage is found on page 903, I believe is what it is. It's, yeah, 903 in that dark Bible there in front of you. It's also found on page 10 in your order of worship. And if you're, you're here today and you don't have a Bible at home, would you please take that uh, Bible there in that chair home with you? We'd love for you to have that. Again, today's passage is going to be found on page 903 in that Bible. So we go through our vision and values every year just to anchor us in who we are as a church, the kind of church we want to be. And just for those of you who may not have been here to remember the process, um, I've only been here a little over three years, and so what we did my first year here is all the elders and I, we all got together over the course of months, and we prayerfully went through where the church has been, who we've been as a church, where we're going as a church, and what was really frustrating was that Marty, who was here at the time as the associate pastor, and I, we scoured the internet, we went through all of our various networks and friends, and who we could talk talk to, and there was a ton of material out there for how you as the new leader can come in and like speak your truth or impose your vision or sell your ideas to a group and let them come up with your vision. There was nothing out there about how to take an existing healthy organization and let's come up with a new exciting dream together. How sad is that, right? There's a, there's a issue the crisis of leadership in our country right there. So anyway, so Marty and I kind of had to invent the process, and thankfully Marty's really good at that. So we came up with this process that we were able to come together as officers and really articulate a vision for who we are together and who we want to be. And so our vision for a church, we have a poster here I'll show you. Very simple, it's a robust church, joyfully united to Jesus, our community, and each other. And we express that vision, the values of live, grow, thrive, and go. So a robust church, it sounds kind of like self-aggrandizing, but what we wanted to do, we wanted to root us in the fact that we're already a good church, we're already a healthy church, we already have great doctrine and a great community, so we're not saying anything is wrong, we're rooted in who we are. We're already a robust church, and with joy, we walk forward into our union with Jesus, actually being one with him, the essence of our salvation. With joy, we walk into the fact that God has put us right here in Midlow, that give us a mission in Midlothian, that we're the missionaries right here, and we joyfully walk into that. And also, because we're united to Jesus, we're united to each other, so we joyfully live out being together in the community, the family of God. So that's our vision. That's who we want to be. And again, it's expressed in these four values of living Live, grow, thrive, and go. So vision and values are important because they take what we believe and then they show how we actually live that out. We live out our beliefs collectively, and that's the culture of a church. And so we want to articulate and reinforce our culture that we strive for here at Sycamore. So we do this every September. Now, real quick, about the books. Donnie kind of mentioned this a little bit, but let me remind you about these books. So for each value, there's a corresponding book if you want to dig in deeper. I know some of you got all four books, and that's great. You are absolutely welcome to read those. Please don't try to read all of those in a month. Please don't think, well, you got to read this book for each week. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't do that. 
Okay, these are very thick books as far as content-wise. They're actually not that big. I was talking to someone before the first service, and they said, you know, it actually might be easier if I start highlighting the things I don't like in the book. Because every page is highlighted. So take these books and read them very slowly. I read them uh, repeatedly in my personal worship, my private devotions. I I don't do a whole chapter. I might do like four or five pages and just kind of really see what the Lord is showing me there through these books. And again, you don't have to do all four, but if over the next month, if one of these values piques your interest, I would encourage you, grab the corresponding book. You can really dive in to see what that value looks like in your own life because we want to be joyfully united to Jesus, joyfully united to our community, and joyfully united to each other. We want to have joy together. I love how a couple people over here were dancing in the last song. You know who you are. You're my favorites. Don't tell the rest of the congregation I said that. But anyway, we want to have joy. Okay, that's what we're, that's what we're about. So with that, let's step into God's Word today. Enough of the stuff that we say. So today we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian church was a church with issues. Not so much with what they believed, but how to live out the gospel. If you look through the book of 1 Corinthians, it's not so much a book of meticulous theological instruction and minutiae like some other of Paul's books. Instead, it is a book about really real-world application of the truths they believe. In other words, it's a book about church culture. So what happens here is basically who they should be in this challenging metropolitan city of Corinth. Paul spends 14 chapters of kind of real practical application And then he reasserts the truth of the gospel to anchor their church culture in God's word. And he does that in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you would, would you turn with me now? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. It's on page 10 in your order of worship. And again, that chair Bible there, it's on page 903. This is God's word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now would you pray with me? Now gracious God and heavenly Father, as we come before your word today, we ask that you would once again open your word up to us. Lord, show us the truth and beauty of the gospel over all things. And we pray, Lord, that as the gospel is shown in all its glorious beauty, that we would long to have it, that we would long to be found in Christ. Would you do this, Lord, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're talking about the value of live. This is receiving the gospel together. And the first thing I want to look at is let's look at the gospel itself, right? So Paul says in verse 1 there, he says, hey, I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you. 
says, I've already told you this, but let me remind you. You know why we have to be reminded of the truth of the gospel? Anybody want to take a guess? You know why? Because Christians leak. That's why. We constantly forget the gospel, and we fill up that leakage with our own works, with our own performance. Like, oh, I don't feel quite right. Um, let, me, let me try to impress God with this. We forget that it's not about filling ourselves back up with our performance, but it's once again looking to Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. Well, I keep using this word gospel, so let's define this thing. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news in Jesus Christ. The good news what? Well, you and I are separated from a holy God. There is this incredible chasm, if you will, between us and God. And we can't get across it. God said, be holy as I am holy. Jesus Christ confirmed in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you and I are wretched at our holiness and our perfection. Aren't we? We're really bad at it. And so instead of this eternal separation, Jesus Christ came to live the life that we should live before a holy God who demands perfection. And then he came to die the death that we should die before a just God who will not ignore our sin. And so Jesus Christ came and he earned all that perfection. He was holy, he was perfect, he fulfilled all the works that God likes and that is placed on us in salvation. And all the stuff that God hates, the sin, the selfishness, was placed on Jesus, and God killed him for it, taking the punishment so we don't have to be punished for it. And then God raised him back from the grave on the third day, proving that death could not hold him, that the gospel is true, and that it can be ours when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as the resurrected Lord. That's the gospel. That's my summary. Now let's walk through Paul's summary here in verses 3 and 4 by looking at a few key phrases. First, Paul says, hey, let me remind you of the gospel. First thing, what's first important, what's foremost is that Christ died and was buried. This is the most important thing. Not his great teaching. Not anything else. Now I know there are some scholars out there that say, well, they really didn't kind of organized this whole thing into like two, three hundred, even four hundred AD and blah, blah, blah. This is written 50 AD, probably. Maybe as late as 55 AD. It's not even 20 years since the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is longer in time between us today and 9-11 than it was between Paul writing this and the resurrection of Christ. It's that close in history. And he says, this is the main thing. This early the church has said, this is the main thing. Jesus Christ died and was buried for our sins. See, God does not overlook sin. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't say, oh, that's all right. He's not the big grandpa. Or as a friend of mine used to say, I love this phrase. He goes, you know, God is not the big marshmallow in the sky who grades on a curve. That is not who God has shown himself to be in Scripture. He is utterly holy and he cannot countenance sin. And so Jesus Christ took our cosmic treason against God, and he died for it. A great summary of the gospel, if you're looking for a good summary, this is, a, this is one to memorize, this is a good one. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Paul says this, this is the gospel. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that in Jesus we could become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel, that our junk is put on Jesus, his amazingness is put on us, and that it's ours when we place our faith and trust in him. This is foremost, Paul says. This is the main thing. And the next thing he says is foremost is what? That he was raised on the third day. Again, 17 years after the fact. The resurrection was not some myth that took the church hundreds of years to invent and impose. A mere 17 to 20 years after the fact, the church says, Jesus died, Jesus was raised on the third day. This is fundamental, this is foremost. Death could not hold Jesus. God brought him back, proving that Jesus' self-sacrifice was acceptable for our sins before his Father. The resurrection that Jesus actually bodily came back to life is the linchpin of Christianity. There is no Christianity without the physical, actual resurrection of Jesus. I remember in college, I, I, I got a religion degree at this private uh, Baptist university and had just terrible professors in the religion department. The, the, the hard sciences were filled with people who actually believed the, the Bible, but like the religion department was a pagan wasteland. And I remember they kept trying to teach us, well, of course we know the resurrection didn't happen because you know, people don't rise from the dead. So what happened was the, the disciples, they were so overjoyed when they finally understood the teachings of Christ that it was as if he was raised in their heart. And I was just like, um... One of us is really stupid because that doesn't make any sense. I don't think it's me. Anyway, so that is not the case. If you call yourself a Christian, and if you find yourself having some difficulty really accepting the physical, actual, bodily resurrection of Jesus, you're not a Christian. You need to repent and believe the gospel. I know I'm not allowed to be that harsh and that direct, but... It's right there in the manual. If you take your little app, your Bible app you're looking at now and scroll down to verse 17, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. There is no Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul says, all of this is according to the scriptures. None of the four gospels had been written yet at this point. They would come later. Paul and the apostles preached Jesus out of the Old Testament because it was always God's plan to save and rescue his people by a redeemer. And they were convinced that Jesus was that redeemer. And so they preached the gospel in Jesus' name. Because in his holiness and in his justice, God is also love and he made a way. Because that's the gospel. Now I want to give you one quote from this week's book by Ray Ortland called The Gospel, he says this. I love this quote. He says, Every other hope is based explicitly or implicitly on how deserving we are. Only the Christian gospel is based clearly, boldly, and insistently on how loving God is to the undeserving. That's the gospel. Do you know this gospel? The next thing we see is receiving Paul says in the second part of, of verse 1, he says, which you received and which you stand. They received it to themselves. Later when they're finally written, the gospel accounts would take this exact word for received and they would apply it to what Joseph did to Mary and to baby Jesus. He took them. He received them. He made them his own. 
That's exactly what Paul says you must do with Jesus. And it sounds so simple, but it can be deceptively hard. I want to show you how this can be deceptively hard. I want to share with you, I've done it before. This is one of my favorite non-Christian, non-Christian, non-fiction books. It's called Dominion by Tom Holland, not the Spider-Man actor. Okay, this is a different guy. So um, in this book, you can see the subtitle there. It says, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. He takes close to a thousand pages starting with ancient Greek philosophy and shows how Western culture for good is a product of Christianity. How you, If you take away Christianity, there are no human rights. There is no scientific revolution. He goes through it all. And here's the thing about it. Tom Holland is not a Christian. Doesn't believe a lick of it. And he knows Christian theology and implications better than many of us in the room. Because you can know about Jesus, but you have to receive him. You have to actually place your faith and trust in him as the resurrected Lord. That's how you unlock the gospel power. The Apostle John, looking at, at this issue, said it this way. John chapter 1, verse 12, he said this. He said, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You get what that says? It is only those who have received Jesus who legitimately get to call God Father. It's right there in John 1, who have the right to be called children of God. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are adopted into God's family, and he looks at you and says, beloved daughter, precious son, and you get to call him Father. That's the gospel. When we receive him, when we stand in him, Paul says, when we rest in him. We take this very seriously. If you've been here during a membership um, situation, that's not the right word. During a, when someone comes up to join the church publicly, we give them vows. And our second vow is, remember we say, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone as he's offered in the gospel? You take that as a vow that, yes, I receive this Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 2 to tell us that when we receive the gospel, it continues his work on us. Did you catch when we read through it how Paul said the gospel in which you are being saved? See, the gospel doesn't just get us into God's family, and then it's up to us to gut it out and make sure we, we survive temptation. No, the gospel keeps us in God's family. Oh, you know we're susceptible to forget this. I grew up in, in a church that, that, that taught this implicitly, that, that you are absolutely saved by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ alone. You bring nothing to the table. It's all about Jesus. But once you're in, yeah, yeah, you gotta start putting a little work in. You gotta start doing the stuff. And it becomes this idea where God becomes the great HR director in the sky. And our last review didn't go so well. We gotta shape up. He's got us on Jesus plus a performance plan, right? That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. The same grace that gets you in is the same grace that keeps you in and the same grace that grows you in it. Oh, do not look to grace as what gets you in the family and look to your works to keep you in the family. That is not the gospel. You can know the information, but that would be what Paul says, knowing the gospel in vain. Instead, he says, hold fast to the real gospel. Keep it secure. 
Do not look to your works for your ongoing, but seize Jesus into your heart and live out of your union with Jesus. Be joyfully united to Jesus. That's our vision. So the question here is, not do you know this gospel, it's have you received this gospel? Do you believe this gospel? So we're talking about the value of live, which is receiving the gospel together. So finally, we have in verses 5 through 8 here, we have together. Paul tells us unequivocally, Jesus came back and he appeared, not in some sort of dream, not in some sort of vision. We're talking about eyeballs. He appeared. We could translate this word literally, he was seen by. It's pretty clear. Peter, all the disciples, more than 500 people at once. And did you catch how Paul said, by, way, by the way, some of those guys are still alive? Go ask them. You can check yourself. Then he appeared to James. He appeared to the apostles, even to Paul himself. Jesus appeared to a whole community of people. It wasn't some private thing in their heart. It wasn't some vision. It was public to a community. And then Paul says, and you in Corinth, you believed that and you received it together. Every single Y-O-U in today's passage is plural in the original. It's y'all. I say this not to be um, irreverent, but because you'll remember it as you read the New Testament. Remember, it's written by Southerners. It's always y'all. There's like maybe three or four singular Y-O-U's in the whole New Testament. They're almost always y'all because God is calling a community. Together we receive this gospel. Because Jesus is building a community, a family of faith. Okay, why does that matter? Why is that a big deal? Is that just a little trivial thing? Okay, fine, they're plural, whatever. Well, here's why it's important. Two reasons. One, because individualism versus a y'all mentality, individualism leads to consumerism and isolation in the church. We all do this. We find ourselves doing it, right? We come to church and we weigh if what happened was good or bad based upon our tastes and our preferences. We, we, we try to cover it up with religious language. They, well, I'm not sure if that was biblical, but really it's like, I didn't like that. Well, I really like that. It was a great service. See, that's consumerism, and we have a me mentality instead of a we mentality. We come looking, fulfill me. But it also leads us to isolation from other Christians as well. I mean, how many Christians in the room, you're not going to raise your hand, I know, are lonely? Statistically, most of you. Because we've drunk the Kool-Aid that Christianity is about me, my Bible, and my Jesus, and my individual growth. It's not that we're unfriendly. We just, we don't see that Christianity is a team sport. We think we're okay alone. But that is a shadow, dear friends. That is a shadow of the joy that God has in store for you when you are joyfully united to each other. Because God intends for you to live in community. So individualism is a problem. That's why I have to recognize it's y'all Christianity. The second big problem, why it's important, is tribalism, or what we call racism today, infected humanity like immediately after the fall. Disliking people who are different is the norm now, isn't it? It is the default of humanity to define ourselves and our preferences and the way we do things as good. And so people who are like us are the good guys. And people who are different from us if they're not necessarily the bad guys, they're the suspicious guys, right? That's how, that's wired into our very heart. 
Paul actually discusses this exact issue earlier in 1 Corinthians. He points out that they used to be this way. Then he shows what the gospel did to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. He says this. He says, and such were some of y'all. But y'all were washed, y'all were sanctified, y'all were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God overcoming the implicit tribalism or racism as we call it today in Corinth was huge. Overcoming that across the Roman Empire is actually what the New Testament refers to specifically as the mystery of the gospel. We saw this last week in Colossians 1 at the very end of the chapter where Paul says the mystery of the gospel is that Gentiles are included with Jews and the people of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul again says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, we miss a lot of this because we don't get how in the ancient world Jews and Gentiles hated each other. And I actually mean hate. That word is way overused today. Okay, They hated each other. They knew they were the good guys and the other guys were the bad guys. Them coming together in Jesus in this infant movement called the church got the Roman government's attention, scared them, and is one of the main reasons persecution started to happen because that display of actual power was a threat to the empire. It changed the world. Imagine what the gospel could do in our world that's so rife with such tribalism today if we in the church displayed the together part of y'all Christianity. Let me give you a, a place to start, a practical application. A good place to start is community groups. So we have community groups. We're kind of refer, re refreshing our community groups. You'll get more information about that uh, soon. But what you're going to do is, here's the deal. We're going to have what we're calling, for lack of a better term, an open enrollment period. And to kind of the gist of what a previous president said, if you like your group, you can keep it, okay? Except we mean it. Um, sorry, that was political. I shouldn't have gone there. Anyway, so if you want to explore another group, you're more than welcome to. If you want to stay with your group, seriously, stay with your group. If you're not part of a group, this is your chance to get out of the me Christianity and engage in some y'all Christianity together in a community group. There's more information available. You can go to our website there, sycamoreprez.com slash community groups. You can go to the Church Center app. You can find information out in the foyer. But basically, here's the deal. We want to find out if you want to be in a group. And then you tell us what kind of group you're looking for. Do you want a group that's all about Bible study? Do you want a group that's more fellowship? Do you want a group that's kind of weekly? Do you want a group that's monthly? Do you want a group that's kid-friendly? Do you want a group that's maybe not so many kids around? Do you want one that's centered on a neighborhood? Do you want one that's scattered? What do you want? What are you looking for? How can we help you dig in? And we will find those groups. We'll make those groups happen. So more information coming about on that, but look for those coming because this is a great way to receive the gospel together in a community group. All right, well, let's wrap this up. I want to challenge y'all, especially if you've been around a while. And if you were candid, you, you'd admit that there's something not quite fresh about my Christian walk. There's something a little stale. I, I'm not, it's not what I thought it would be. Maybe it never has been what you thought it would be. It's just, I read the Bible, and I'm just not getting the big deal that other people have seemed to get out of it. 
this passage is for you. This value is for you. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is teaching about his unique position as the only one who connects humanity to God, that he alone is the unique connection between God the Father and sinful humanity. And Philip, one of his disciples, very impatiently kind of says something along the lines of, would you quit with all the theology and just show us the Father? Enough of this. And in John 14, 9, Jesus responds to him this way. He says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You can hear Jesus' brokenhearted frustration almost, can't you? Especially when you remind yourself, Philip has been with Jesus for over three years at this point, in like the most intense internship ever. And Jesus looks at him and goes, after three years, you don't even know me. He knew a lot about Jesus. He'd, he'd been getting a lot, a lot of teaching, but he didn't even know him. You can know who Jesus is without knowing him as a person. Do not look to the depth of your knowledge. Do not look to how good your theology is. Do not look to the depth of your understanding of the Scriptures. The question is, have you received Jesus? Do you actually have a relationship with a flesh and blood person who was raised from the grave or, as so many of us in the form world, have we merely figured out the great Sudoku puzzle of life and Jesus is the center? We love him as a principle. We worship him. We're earnest in our devotion, but when you get right down to it, it's an abstract theological thing that makes sense. And this whole thing about a person makes me, I don't know what to do with that. If that's you, receive Jesus even today. Place your faith and trust in him as the resurrected Lord. You can do that. You can do that right now. Cast off everything you've called Christianity. Everything you think you know. And just place your simple faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord. And he will change you. He will revive you when you receive him like that. And don't wait. Do it now. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, your gospel is just so good. We want to bring something to it. We are trained to be skeptical. We're, we're trained to not accept charity or grace. So Lord, would you give us deep repentance of that arrogance so that we would cast our needy hearts and lives unto the grace and charity of Jesus Christ alone. Lord, would you enthrall our hearts with the beauty of this gospel that we might receive Jesus deeply into our hearts, take him into our lives, and then live faithfully with him in his people. Lord, would you help us to receive the gospel together? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.